0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehilat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: We have a double parsha this morning, Acharei Mot Kedoshim, so we're starting in Acharei Mot and going a little bit into Kedoshim because we're in the middle section, we're in the middle third of every parsha, but if you have a double portion, You're in the middle of where you'd be if you read both Parshiot, if that made any sense to anybody. We want to say hello and welcome to the people who are listening from home. I know that Judith Ubik, Linda showed her how to listen from home, and uh, so she's recovering from knee surgery and is very happy that she can join us in our learning, and we know that folks are listening all over the country and actually all over the world. So it's a wonderful thing. I get notes every now and then, and I keep meaning to bring oh, them in here so to nice. you, uh, but people who say this is their only connection to learning oh. Jewishly and uh, how happy they are that we make it available to them um, and that they are able to participate in a progressive Torah study. So,
2: so watch
1: our language. So watch what you say, exactly, <laughs> and pretend that you, like, follow what the rabbi uh, says, <laughs> right? All right, so let's look at what are, already I forgot again 178. my God long week. All right, so let's start at 178 shall we? Someone by a microphone?
3: Yes okay. <laughs> Say to them further if anyone the house of Israel or of the strangers who reside amongst them offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to Adonai. That person shall be cut off from this people. Me. And if anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who reside among them partakes of any blood, I will set my face against the person who partakes of the blood. I will cut that person off from among kin for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have assigned it to you for making expiation for your lives upon the altar. It is the blood as life that affects expiation. Therefore, I say to the Israelite people, no person among you shall partake of blood, nor shall the stranger who resides among you
1: partake of blood. So we're getting here cultic practice around... Right, the the idea of what is permitted and what is not permitted—it is very clear uh, here—that we are not to eat of the life force of an animal. Um, It makes expiation. We've talked about this lots in the past, right? That it is the life force, the blood, that is the detergent that cleanses the altar and the space of sin, of the dross of sin. But the Israelites are not allowed to use it for any other purpose for themselves, right? It can be used for expiation. They can eat the meat. They're supposed to eat the meat, as are the priests, depending on what the, what the offering is. Of course, if it's a holocaust, they don't eat anything because it's all burned up. Um, but the, it is very clear here that blood cannot be used for any other purpose. By the Israelites, right? So the temptation seems to be that if blood is the life force, then if I consume that, then I somehow add to my life force, right? So think of all those, like the portrait of Dorian Gray, or like all those, all those tales where you take, you know, the energy, the life from somebody else to keep you young and vital, right? That's not, it's not a new idea. I mean, it's not, it's not a crazy idea. If, if you believe that's the life force what follows is then if I consume it I somehow get more life right Torah is very clear you are not allowed to kill to get more life yeah right and uh, somehow it came up about animals didn't it come up last week that um, so this whole idea also that like there's nothing holier to us than a Torah scroll but you're not allowed to kill an animal to make a Torah scroll so it's this idea that we have, we're permitted, we're permitted to consume animals. We are not permitted to do so willy-nilly, however we want. Uh, so Torah is in, in these laws that we see, uh, Rabbi Yitz Greenberg has a wonderful interpretation where, and I've shared this with you before, I think that Torah accepts after the flood, after God has to like, smash it all and start over again god seems to understand that human beings are human beings and that the world is what the world is and it's not perfection it's not eden that didn't work out (laughs) right as long as you let people be free people and have free choice if we're created with the capacity to do evil or to do good there's going to be it's a mess it's just a mess so the question is, do we then just give up and say, "Okay, well, then nothing matters," right? Of course not. That that would be that would be something else. It wouldn't be religion, right? Religion cares deeply, right, about how to mitigate our our baser instincts, our lesser instincts, and so Yitz Greenberg says laws in Torah are all about moving the world one step closer from what is to what it should be. That God gets it; where it's not going to be perfect. So we're allowed to kill animals. In Eden, we did not eat animals. We were vegetarian. Because that's ideal. Paradise would be we don't kill other things and eat them. But the world is what it is. And so like God gets it and says, okay, so you can eat animals, but within a very strict guideline of which animals you can eat and then how, remember once upon a time, only sacrificial meat could be eaten. So you could only eat certain kinds of animals, the ones that were kosher, and you could only do so as part of the cultic ritual that resulted in a feast. Once you kill an animal, you have to eat the whole thing, right? There was no refrigeration. You could do jerky, I suppose, right? But you you ate the whole thing. A, a, a sheep is pretty big, right? That, think about how much meat that is, right? So the priest got some, but what the what the offerer of the sacrifice did was took it home and you ate. <clears throat> or you ate there in the sacred precinct, right? Depending on what, again, what the, what the offering was. So it's a meal with God. It's a meal with family. It's a meal together. So it's all about, like he karav, to draw close. We've talked about korban, right? The, the whole idea, the whole word korban sacrifice is about drawing close, to come close, to come karov. Right? So clearly, We're getting lots of understanding here uh, from the priestly source about what that means and what that looks like. Let's go to chapter 18, because it doesn't stop with cultic practice. These laws that we get do not just cover cultic practice. And we're going to jump again, so get ready to jump again. Uh, Yeah, 18.1.
3: Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the Israelite people and say to them, I, Adonai, am your God, You shall not copy the practices of the land of Egypt, where you dwell, or the land of Canaan, to which I am taking you. Nor shall you follow their laws. My rules alone shall you observe, and faithfully follow my laws. I, Adonai, am your God. You shall keep my laws and my rules, by the pursuit of which human beings shall live. I am Adonai. None of you men shall come near any one of his own flesh to uncover nakedness.
1: Okay, so we're now getting, we're getting, okay, you must follow my laws. You are not to do what happens in the land of Egypt, right? You're going to do, in Canaan, these laws, because you're going to follow my ways, not what you've been exposed to other places. Whether or not these things happened in Egypt, we don't know. A great way to villainize your enemy is to say, well, you know what they do. Right? So we have no indication that, that this was like common practice in Egypt, but certainly it's being used as a way to, to separate what the Israelites are supposed to be now from the horrible decadence of that horrible place down there. Me trying. Right? Alright, so. We are to understand that those chukim, those laws are not just cultic, right? We're gonna get laws now about uncovering nakedness. What's uncovering nakedness about? Sexual relations. Sex. Sexual relations. So, intimate relations, obviously, it goes right up there with eating meat or drinking blood. There's an appetite. You are permitted to have intercourse, you are to do so within boundaries. You can't just do it whenever you want with whomever you want. That is one of the ways that we stay a people, right, following in God's path. All right, so here are some examples. Robert, seven, yeah. Uh,
3: Your father's nakedness, that is the nakedness of your mother, you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness.
1: Okay, makes sense.
3: Do not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is
1: the nakedness of your father. Sexuality belongs to men. All sexuality belongs to men. So, which women's sexuality he owns, you're offending him by having sex with the sexuality... by, By accessing the sexuality of the person whose sexuality he owns. Does that make sense? So the offense is not against your mother or your stepmother. The offense is against your father. Right. Okay.
3: Like the rape of Dina.
1: Right. That's right.
3: That's right. The nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's, whether born into the household or outside, do not uncover their nakedness. So
1: you can't have sex with your sister, whether half sister, regardless of which parent she's the half sister from. Whether it's the daughter of your father, the daughter of your mother. Uh, this makes sense. <laughs> it's just, if you're going to live together in a household, there's just some rules that right? people just seem to get. Okay, go on.
3: The nakedness of your son's daughter or of your daughter's daughter. Do not uncover their nakedness, for their nakedness is yours.
2: Ah.
1: Mmm. <laughs> you're wondering, aren't you, if I'm going to go there. Go on.
3: The nakedness of your father's <laughs> wife, uh, wife. I'm sorry, your father's wife's daughter, who was born into your father's household. She is your sister. Do not uncover her nakedness.
1: All right, so this goes on for a while, mm-hmm. which... There's a lot of nakedness. There's a lot of yeah, nakedness well, we're not supposed to, to uncover, right? Because mm-hmm. you're not supposed to, which it, it makes sense. A lot of these laws make sense because a lot of us, I mean, we still understand these to be normative practice, right? You don't sleep with your siblings. You don't sleep with your stepmother it just it's ew right like yuck like it, yeah. it you, they're too close in relationship to you for them to be viable right uh, intimate partners um, all right so where do we want to go next yeah
3: well, goes as far as your neighbor's wife yeah
1: right, right. so we have the famous verse 22 Left, you should think i can't face it oh,
3: yeah. Do not lie with a male as one lies with a woman if it is an abhorrence.
1: So just it's right in the middle of all of these other no's about sexuality. I just want you to notice that, right? It's just in this list, right? It's not special in headlights and neon nope. any more than eating swine. It's just one in a list of this is what you don't do. Who's it addressed to? The man. The
2: man. Men.
1: Men. It's addressed to Men. Do not lie, and actually the, the English is, the Hebrew is a much more nuanced uh, thing. The at Zachar, Lotish and with a male, you shall not lie the lyings of a woman. What is it technically saying here?
2: That a man can't be so.
1: Correct. That a man shall not lie with another man the lyings of a woman. You shall not be receptive you shall not be the receiver of sexual intercourse with a male because it is flipping the normal and we'll put normal in quotes the normal way of doing things you're not supposed to like put yourself in the position of a subordinate when you are the masculine. The, the male, the dominant male. any significance to the word
0: abhorrence,
1: We've seen it before. Toeva. <coughs> so we've seen this in lots of other uh, situations, and it's right up there with abomination.
0: Yeah, I, I'm just sort of curious as what, why they use these. If this is precluded, why not just say, the uh, horn sounds milder than...
1: Abomination. Uh (laughs) Right. They're they're both categories of... And I want to be careful how I say this. um, They are... Okay. In Deuteronomy, we get it a lot. We get abhorrence a lot more than we see it here. It's pretty much like abomination. And I want to be careful how I say this because usually I say it the opposite way, which is... Um, I've always said, like, n- not eating swine is an, abom- it's an abomination. Then we have here, you know, homosexual behavior, of certain kind of homosexual behavior, it's an abomination. And so um, what I've always said is so we can't have a moral, abomination can't have a moral sense to it because it's the same as eating pig. But what I realize in uh, listening to uh, Rabbi or Dr. Tal Becker and some other folks and reading the book, what was that book, The Righteous Mind? Yes, you've heard that book, *The Righteous Line*, looking at how people get so fixed in their mindset that they won't hear any. Um, see, i learning. Contrary, that, that they won't, they won't hear anything contrary to their opinion. They just can't take it in. They won't take it in. So, um, so, so in in all of these discussions, what I'm learning is for some people, it is a moral imperative. Hmm. I don't consider it moral, but. Israelites would have considered what they ate a moral act, right? So, so this word gets used for these these don'ts that if you do them, it, you're triggering, right, an abomination, uh, something abhorrent, disgusting. It's
0: interesting because a week ago we we went through the whole study of impure, mm-hmm. and we take. The impure person outside of it.
1: When they have tzaraat, when they have leprosy, right? Because I
0: guess, I guess I've thought about this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Is this, if this Torah had been written today, knowing what we know about sexuality, about homosexuality, do you think it would have been written this way? No.
1: For sure, no. Yeah. For sure, no. Which is why every single progressive Jewish branch yeah. has said, right, that that homosexuality falls in the same exact category as other sexuality as we derive it from Torah values meaning consensual between two adults who are not family right like so there are some things we would still carry forward from the discussion of limiting our sexual appetites right you still wouldn't sleep with somebody else's wife presumably that's, we still consider that wrong. So we still consider sexuality to be a realm of morality and ethics. We've just shifted where that is. Right? So a man can't dress as a woman either. That's also an abomination. Because again, remember we talked about everything separate in its own categories. When you start crossing the lines, existentially you start making everybody super nervous. Right? So, so those are, they're, they're standard categories. Now we would move the line, right, on, on what we would consider ethical behavior. How does the
0: Orthodox community, both the Arabian community and the modern Orthodox community, deal with verse 22? Verse 1 and 2?
1: 22. 22. Oh, 22. But that it still holds. Still holds. Oh, still holds, for sure. So what do they do with the science that says somebody's right. gay? They say, love the sinner, hate the sin. So we maybe have some understanding that maybe this is how you're built, but it's up to you to fight that impulse for that behavior.
0: They wouldn't accept how we're built. They just don't accept it.
1: Well, they accept that some people may be built that way. That's their cross to bear. Some people are built to want to have sex with everything that moves, but you can't. You have to fight that impulse, right, and only have sex with your wife. I'm not trying to equate those things, but I'm saying that's how they would argue it, right? That, yes, I'm built to want to have sex with everybody. I'm a highly sexual being. Too bad. We still have categories of permitted and not permitted, and we have to live within those as difficult as it is. I may want to eat every animal that runs by me, but I don't get to, right? I only get to eat the kosher ones, and if you're talking about a certain system, I only can eat sacrificial meat. Our appetites can be what they are. We're built how we're built, but we have to then live within those appetites ethically, right? So I'm not saying I, I agree with. I actually agree with that argument, but we just disagree on where to put the line, right?
0: But you'd accept the science. You accept the science today.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the they. I they might even science? too, but they say you can't. You can't. Torah says you can't do it. So however you're built, I'm sorry, but you can't, you can't live like that. You're not allowed to. I mean, we, you know, if we really wanted to have the conversation for us of where do we get challenged, right? Because I'm not challenged on any, on most of this stuff, right? I'm, but where do we get challenged? How about open marriages? Is that okay? What about if both couple, what both members of a couple agree to go to a swing club? Is that somehow unethical? Immoral? But it's not the same as, as the science of what we're doing. No, I, to- I totally get it.
0: But the, science I- doesn't,
4: but the science doesn't tell you how to behave. The science just tells
0: you how you are. No, Richard, I understand, what I'm saying is that that science applied then would not come up with the conclusion that they have come up with.
1: Right. So because
0: we. Man is. They did not in control.
1: Well, the agenda is different too. the The agenda was for there to be procreation. Yes. Right. So, so there's that makes sense. To there's me. an agenda. Yes, right. If that you sense. If right. you're often male male couples. But but you wouldn't say it's
0: an abhorrence or it's an abomination if that was the goal. It's only the goal. It would be said positively. You shall only have
2: sex right woman, um, you know,
1: Unless it's understood within a system of the ethical and moral thing to do is to live with a woman and have children. Yeah. Then not doing that is unethical and immoral, and that's where the words abhorrence and whatever get triggered. What you've
0: also taught us, I think, it, it, this idea of not having sex with your neighbor's wife. You could look at it and say, well, wait a minute, the neighbor's wife, not because that's immoral. She belongs mm-hmm. to
1: him. Ah, but... But, but accessing the sexuality that belongs to your neighbor is unethical. Yes, yes. So it does apply. Because
0: she's a child. She belongs to him.
1: Correct. we are violating
0: his property.
1: Correct, and that's unethical. Right? Yes. So the ethics do apply. But it's not a moral issue. That's what I'm trying to get at is I think for ancient Israelites it was. Uh-huh. They, would sep- they wouldn't They would separate out what we would separate out as that's not a moral category right which is how I've always kind of dealt with this but I'm changing my mind I know it's <laughs> freaking me out but well let me know when you come there. right 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 I'm changing my mind because I think the whole category of what morality yes. is a, relates to is different for me than it is for very staunchly conservative republicans that's what I learned from that book and Tal Becker's unpacking of it right that I say that has nothing to do with morality, X, Y, or Z, but but other people say, no, that is part of morality and ethics. So we don't even agree on what categories of life d- those words apply to. When I could, Once I got that, I'm like, that's why I feel like I'm beating my head against a wall when I have an argument with some of these people. Not that I like to have an argument with them because I get crazy, right? I'm not good at that. But that's what's making me—I've realized—that's what's making me crazy. We're start—we we're, don't even—we're starting from two different perspectives when we even use the word ethical, or more, or we, we may not even be using those words. But that's what's underlying the, the argument, right? Is abortion's a good example, right? For me, that is about a woman's right to control her reproduction, which we have always done. Do you want it to be infanticide? Or do you want it to be an abortion at six weeks, right? So we've always controlled our reproduction on some level. But so how are we going to do that? That is not the conversation for anti-choice people. For them, it is an ethical and moral wrong that is right up here with, right, right? abomination. And then I get crazy, right? Because it's like we're having two different conversations based on different criteria,
0: different definitions of
1: ethics. Yes. So that's where, I mean, and, and it's not like I didn't ever get it before that killing was an ethical issue. It's, it's not that I hadn't thought about it, but, but I'm not arguing from that side, right? I'm not, I'm not arguing so much from the moral ethical perspective as I am, a woman has a right? To control her right so we're starting from like the criteria we use to even have the argument are different
2: Absolutely. the
1: categories are and once I got that that's why this book, The Righteous Mind, was like so great, is because it's like, that's why you can't have the conversation with some people. You're starting from different categories of understanding, and I'm not explaining this very well, no, um, but it's, it's yeah. it, then I understood that we, it's not about facts. This is not about persuading somebody. This is about worldview that starts at a really different Place and then so then I can just go. Okay, I get it. You connect this to morality and religion, or in, in this and this way. I get it. Okay. But there's there's no use to having the conversation because I don't start there. Sorry. Right? If it starts with well, God has commanded. Okay, we're done. We're done because it's the same kind of thing. Like what's what's the point? Nah. <laughs> like that's my articulate <laughs> response. To you uh Like. That's not what she said to me, right? So God said, okay, once you go there, no, the, the, conversation's the conversation's over, right? So, because there's no point. You know, you're not starving. Right. All right, so, because when I get to heaven, oh, okay, well, I, I don't know what to even say to that, right? So there's, okay. Um, yep. Yes? Um, Madeline Albright, who wrote a new book, has been on a lot of talk shows, and she advocates... Listening to Fox News and all those right wing so we understand, not that we're ever going to agree, but at least you have some appreciation
3: right.
1: of what the other side mm-hmm. is thinking. Not that it's going to help you necessarily, but we should, we're all in our little silo and we have no clue about right. right. the rest of the world. And the only thing we listen to are the things that affirm mm-hmm. our worldview and our way of seeing things, and so they are idiots. They are, like, uninformed. They are fill in the blank. Because I've got all this Data right. to support my argument. How can they be so stupid as to not note, right, or pay attention to? Them. Yes. Do I pay attention to Fox News's arguments? No. Right, because I throw things at the television, and then Why Judy gets mad you? that like I'm going to break the. I, mean, I know, I know, and it's it's really important. If nothing else, again, if we go back to this, you know, this yeah. mind-opening thing yeah. for me about the the righteous mind. It's like because part of it is understanding how they think. It isn't just what their arguments are. Mm-hmm. It's what's the starting place right. that they start from and then where are they looking for data to support that. So it's kind of about understanding where people are starting from that's really important because it's helpful to know that. I just I just need somebody to tell me because I can't be I can't watch yeah, it. I just want Sorry, Go, back here. Go ahead. Is it fair to say then that you're starting from two different platforms or values? Yes. If you believe that a woman has a right, that's a certain
2: value system, and there's a different value system. So
1: when you're looking to where where is the shared value, is there a shared value? Correct. Is there a place we can even connect to have that conversation? If you're starting from that core, you're never. And we're is the television. Correct. Right? Because we and just because we can't. It's core. It's central to who we are. I would have to. And that's why we have such division right now. It's true. The but core values are yes. So but the point is, can we stop arguing about the core values and start talking about what do we have in common? Can we all agree that we believe children should have enough to eat? Because when I hear on the news that there is zero value, who was that politician recently in California? There is zero value in giving hungry children food. Okay, I'm sorry. Like if if we can't start at hungry kids should be fed, we have bigger problems than our core values. Right? If that isn't a core value, we have big problems. So can we agree they should be safe? That they should be fed? That they should get health care? Right? Like let's work. I can work with anti-choice people on those agenda items, on how we get kids educated and and, and safe and good health care and good nutrition. I'm happy to work with anybody who wants to work on that, right? How many of them want to work on it? They'd rather have signs rather and like have go yell and go shrie about right, you know, the unborn the
2: same
1: person is anti choice. Oh I'm sure you is. Yeah. They just hear- until they're born they're like, well, well, Right? Then we have to pay for them. Forget that. I don't have to pay for them. I just want to make
0: sure I understand if I'm having a conversation with an Orthodox brother and we talk about mm-hmm. the commandment about not having sex with your neighbor's wife, does he start from the viewpoint that she belongs to the neighbor and you're mm-hmm. stealing the property?
1: No. No, I think it's evolved to be
0: in the orthodox. I of,
1: I yeah, it, it's evolved in the orthodox world to be it, it's an immoral yeah, it's crossing right. of a boundary that you know that they have an exclusive right. relationship, I have an exclusive relationship with my partner, yeah. my wife yeah. and and we shouldn't so the orthodox then
0: have evolved in, in many of these
1: Yes. Now, now to be fair, completely fair, um the Katuba ah. Is the document whereby he acquires her? He gives her a ring and says, "Hare at behold, you are set aside for me." She does not give him a ring and say the same thing. He is not set aside for her in the same way. He acquires her. So,
0: isn't it more of a custom though?
1: For for a lot of Jews, I think it's just a custom, and they don't even get exactly what it means. Um, but but. But in some hardcore circles, I think there is, it still smacks of, you know what I mean, that he has acquired the rights to her sexuality, and nobody else has those rights, right? I and, remember
0: sitting through a lecture by the that modern orthodox rabbi, terrific in Century City, about this issue of homosexuality. And we were talking exactly about this, and I asked him if you say...
1: right so um you know there's a there's a fabulous documentary um what's it called (laughs) stop young one over there laughing Uh, not behind you um so uh, uh Trembling before God. Yeah. So, you know, it's a. If you want an in-depth kind of look at the issue from an Orthodox perspective, it's it's a great documentary, Trembling Before God.
5: Yeah, I would like to change a couple of the words. The value that God told me and the value that the woman has the right. But those are not values. Those are truths. So they're non-arguable. And I think right. when we use values, we can
1: change our values, but we can't change our understanding of the truth. Yeah. Ms. Right, they yes. say in Yiddish, Ms. Like there's some things that are Ms. That you're speaking right. truth, right? And and the truth, we we start from if we start from a different understanding of truth, right. there's really not a lot of places to right. go with some of that. Uh,
2: right.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So what George, I think, is saying is if we left the, the language of morality and went to the language of truth, if I understand that to be a truth, th- then there's, there's no conversation with someone who says, no, it isn't. It's not your right. There, I think what he's saying is if we just use language, that's a little stronger. It helps us understand why we can't get past, why we can't hear each other, right? And why, why we don't influence each other more in conversations because we're starting from truths that are absolute to us, fundamental. Um, someone said it back here. Fundamental to who we are, right? And that something would have to fundamentally change about who I am, to be able to be open to the opposite truth, <laughs> right? And that, and generally that doesn't happen. All right. Is there a hand? No. Okay. So let's. I want to push on because I want to get to uh, nineteen.
3: I don't know. I spoke to Moses saying. Speak to the whole Israelite community and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, your God, Adonai, am
1: holy. Okay, let's start there. Kadoshim to you. All right. So this is right in with all of these other laws and stuff. So kadoshim to you is saying what? Holy shall y'all be. Why?
0: Because
1: I am Kadosh. What kind of sense does that make? God is holy. Therefore,
0: shall be
1: in y'all shall be holy. Okay. And then we get a whole bunch of behaviors that points to what it means for us to be Kadoshim. So, is that what it means for God? We just kind of take this for granted, don't we? Right? I'm holy, therefore, y'all shall be holy. What in the world does any of this have to do with God? I
0: have made you in my image. You shall
1: do what I do. What do I do? That has to do, let's read what it is. What is it? You shall each revere your mother and father and keep my Shabbat. I am God. Do not turn to idols to make molten gods for yourselves. I am Adonai, your God. When you sacrifice an offering of well-being, blah, 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 blah. Go to nine. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap all the way to the edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not pick your vineyard bare or gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am Adonai, your God. Do not steal. I am Adonai. This is what it means to be Kadosh. What does this have to do with God? Because God doesn't steal? Because God doesn't reap all the way to the edges of God's field? How does how does this tie to God is Kadosh? Do you see where I'm going? Do you see why this is a problem to, for me this year? Usually it isn't.
4: <laughs> well, it's an part of the answer in the fact that um, it's, you, you shall be holy. I mean, shall is often, uh, it's, it's not just, it's an, on one hand it's an imperative, but on the other other hand it's also a future state. It's not a current state, it's a future state. You shall, you shall be. Holy. So we could, if do, right? This, if you do, it's sort of like I, I am holiness. I like I am holy, it, capital H, right? And you shall be
0: holy if you do these things.
1: So, I God.
0: So it's not a commandment. A, no, well, no, no, I, no. By, it's a, well. It's a prescription.
1: So I God am.
0: God is not saying you must do this. I, He's saying if you want to
1: be holy, <laughs> well, in order to. Order this. all right so, I got, what I hear you say, I got am already holy because that's who I am. I am am holiness defined. You want to look at holiness, go to the encyclopedia, you will see God there. You'll see a picture of me there, right? So I am holiness, but y'all are only holy in potentia. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Y'all aren't holy unless and until you do these things or don't do these things so holiness for human beings so beautifully stated so holy for God is a state of being it's stative right for human beings it is based on behavior a very important distinction We are only holy in potential. That is different from, I am created in the image of God, therefore, there's no therefore to holy. Or you could say, I'm created in the image of God, therefore, I have the capacity to become kadosh through my choices and my behavior. Yes? So, holiness in the world is affected by how the community chooses to behave Mm -hmm. with each other. And we get told over and over and over and over again, vis-a-vis the stranger. Stranger. That is what holiness is dependent on in the world, is how we choose as a society to behave. This is
0: not a series of prescriptions saying thou shalt not yes it is well but if I choose not to my only cost is not to be holy in the image of God according to this interpretation I may choose not to be I'm just having a good time mm-hmm. that guy on the other end of the table he's cute I, I'm going with him
1: Right. and I
0: realize I won't be holy so what
1: okay Okay, so that, that's fine, but, but someone who ignores... Well, yes, there is a consequence. What's the consequence, y'all? You've been studying with me. You'll be cut off from your kin. What's the other consequence? And uh, we get told it very clearly. You will be spewed out of the land because you will contaminate the land and it will spew you out. And what does that look like? In the not ancient good. Near East. Not good. Not good. What because does not you're good look like? Danger. Like? <laughs> <laughs> you are conquered. Your wives and children are carried off as slaves. And you're slaughtered. That's the consequence.
0: It's not tied in here.
1: It's 100% tied in here. 100% it's here. And it will say, do not do what they did. That's why I'm tossing them out. The Canaanites before you. And if you don't do this, you are going to be tossed out of the land. You, you can't earn staying there.
5: You need to read Kedashi
0: entirely separately from 18. Because this seems to, if you follow Richard's idea or you know, the way you describe it, it's a matter of choice. But it's not really. I mean, you know, there are consequences <laughs> well, to bad behavior, but not here. Yes,
4: this is, but this is we're, we're just we're just replaying a different version of the four questions. We just went through Sader's, where you have the four questions and you have the child who asks, what does what do these rules mean to you?
1: Right, and not to me. And, and
4: then and 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 and, uh, and and it's and it's and the, and the answer, as I propose, basically, you know, because you're so concerned about, you know, you're not concerned about community, so you know. We're you know, we're done with you. Right. So, and so the, so the saying that, you know, you, you do have the, you do have the option, you do have the option to not follow these rules, but it's more than simply uh, you're not on the track to get holy, you're also on the track to get booted out.
1: I will read verse 22 from Parshat Kedoshim. You shall faithfully observe all my laws and all my regulations lest the land to which I bring you to settle in spew you out. You shall not follow the practices of the nation that I am driving out before you. For it is because they did all these things that I abhorred them and said to you, You shall possess their land, for I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I, the Lord, am your God who has set you apart from other peoples. You you earn staying in this new land by being Am Kadosh. If you are not going to be an Am Kadosh, the exact same thing is going to happen to you that's happening to them. Is that what you want? Now, the choice to believe that is on every one of us, right? But anymore, and I have notes that tell me, see Al Gore, page 12 through 13. Do you think I could find the flippin' book that it's from? (laughs) No, but... <laughs> but I did find um, another quote by Al. Gore. I went and looked up some quotes by Al Gore, because, because I think what this is saying to us is it's not even a choice anymore. I mean, it's still a choice. We can still use straws. We can still, right? We can still have plastic bags at the grocery store. We we have that choice. We absolutely do. I'm not arguing. It's not a choice. But what Torah is saying is if you don't pay attention to the impact of your behavior, you are going to poison the land and it will kill you. Never has it been more true that if we don't start seeing ourselves as Am Kadosh, and I'm talking now, Humanity, I'm not even talking just the Jewish people. If we, but I mean, for us as Jews, it matters what we do as Jews. But I mean, for, if the world doesn't start seeing itself as Am Kadosh and having certain responsibilities and consequences for the choices that we make, we're done. But here's the thing, we just won't be toast and done. Sorry. Every other species will perish because of us and our choices, or our lack of willingness to take responsibility for our choices. So, as much as there are parts of Kedushim that were just like, eh, not so relevant, the the concept of Kedushah is indeed relevant. And the whole idea of the holiness code, which is what we're in now, I've told you the sources, yes? What are the sources for the Bible? The priests. Yep. The judges. No. Priests. Kings. No. J. J E. P. and D. (laughs) The Yahwist, the Elohist, the Priestly Source, and the Deuteronomist. They start talking about another one these days. H. The Holiness Code. H being the author of the Holiness Code. The school of authorship that is responsible for the holiness code because talk to me about holiness when we start looking at the mishkan oh. when we're looking at the tabernacle talk to me about holiness it's hard isn't it yeah. not so easy is it about the edges of your field no it's about what's kedusha in the tabernacle what's holiness in the tabernacle right it's a force. It's an energy. Right? Kedusha can't be where there's sin. That's why we have ritual detergent that's blood of the animals to cleanse it. Because Kedusha can't be there. God is Kedusha. Okay? It's stative. That which is Kadosh, that which is set aside, is now Kadosh. It's now set apart, right? There's no word for holy in Hebrew. So it's set apart. It's set aside. Okay? So the priests are set aside. Kadosh Ladonai is on Aaron's head. Kadosh Ladonai. Set apart for God. The utensils are set apart now. You can't use them for cooking. They can only be used for cooking sacrificial meat on the altar. Okay, so you got, you've got the idea that they are set apart, they are set aside, and that's it. H comes to say, not so much. It's more than something's status being set aside. It is about choice and about how we behave. We affect holiness in ourselves and therefore in the world. So even though they're put together, these are two different strands of priestly thought. Uh Who are the priests getting this from? Are they just evolving on their own? So this
4: is almost, although it's several hundred years, here, just as, just as um, Noel was challenged to ex- expound on the entire Torah while standing on one leg, and he gives the same, you know, that which is hateful to you does not do to others. Mm-hmm. The Holiness Code is almost like, you know, if there was an author of the Holiness Code, it's almost as if somebody had decided to write a cliff notes for what the Torah is all about. Because it all comes because it all comes down to this. It all comes down to what our choices and behaviors are.
1: Or or there's an evolution mm-hmm. and a rebellion against the system that said, All I have to do, me priest, is show up and mitigate Kedusha because that's my job and nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how I behave. It doesn't matter that I'm corrupt. It doesn't matter... So, uh, so we get people like our early prophet Amos. Isaiah, what are these sacrifices to me? When you're... <laughs> How's it go? Yeah. What you're right? And when you're you're allowing people to stay poor, right? you're taking their cloak and pledge and keeping it like you're unfetter the chains of the poor, right? I don't need your stupid sacrifices, right? That's Isaiah. That's Amos. Amos is pushed the early prophets are pushing against the priesthood. So one argument is all of this Ahari Motoshim is a shift in the priestly acceptance. That holiness is now dynamic. Holiness is now located in space and time in relation to how we spend time and what we do with it. It's now dynamic.
0: So, just giving a sacrifice once you've sinned doesn't do
1: it anymore. So, H is saying it goes way beyond following the sacrificial system, it goes way beyond the festivals. It goes way beyond your tithing of your fruit, right? It goes to everything that they consider to be moral and ethical, you know, categories of behavior. And that is, that is possibly a shift. Um, so then part of it becomes, so what's the purpose? What's the point? Is it just for Israelites to be kidoshim? Is that it? Like okay, we're in Am Kadosh, yay! Close up, good. We're in Am Kadosh. Great. We're we're done. Is that the point? No. So if it's not the point, what is the point?
2: The point is,
1: is if you, I can't put it in order. you have to follow. You're following your heart. You're doing. You're doing Kiddush. You're doing. Good behavior, and hopefully it spills onto the next person and the next person, and then you Okay, so that. that Israel becomes an Amkadosh? Terrific. Are we done? That's it? That's the point? W- would we be finished? Would, would that be the. the... Oh, okay, yeah, okay. God goes, good job. Like, Is that it? Are we supposed to be
2: the
1: light upon ha ha! Thank you, Lynn. We're supposed to be an Amkadosh so that we can be Orla Goyim. So that we can be a light unto the nations, what would that suggest?
2: This is the way to live in holiness.
1: For whom? For, every, yes. for everyone. A lot of people don't want to go here, right? For everyone. On that name, God will be one and God's. Name will be one. What do you think that means? That we're not going to have several names for God? What does it mean? But what does it mean? Yes, there's only one God, of course. What does it mean? This is for everyone. Yes. The original vision is that it's for everyone. That everyone will finally get it. That yod heh vav Hey. Is the only divine in anything. And that we will figure out a way to be a great big Am um, Kadosh. Is
2: that why they hate us so
1: much? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're big shots. We're going to make the whole world holy. We're, we're the chosen right. people to
3: do that.
1: Right. I mean, so it's a loaded question. I'm not. An expert in anti Semitism by any means, but I cannot believe it is not part of it. Absolutely. That we keep saying, wait a minute, that's unethi-. like, if we really are pushing our ethical understanding of things, then what are we lifting up and putting in the face of other people? Right? right? You're not doing it how we believe it's ethical. Or, but what does the church also do? They have a very clever move. What happens with the New Testament? The New Covenant, what happens? The church becomes the new Israel. The church becomes the new Israel. The old covenant has been abrogated. There's a new covenant. There's a new testament in place through Jesus Christ. And we're just not but, part of it. Well, we won't. Test. That's we right. Won't we missed that boat. right? But But the church understands this covenant is with them now. Mm-hmm. They are the only Israel that got it. Right? So, so, so on the one hand, we're an irritant because we're like, you know, here, here's what we think, here's what we think, here's what we think, and we're not going away. But they also are supersessionist. They take these texts and apply it to them and say, we are the new Israel. These, these are our texts. These are our laws also. You're not any better than us. There are laws. You just missed the boat on the most important part, which is that God came to save you from needing so much of this. Because now we have been forgiven for our sins. Do you see?
3: Maybe maybe I don't get this right. But, uh, <laughs> uh, my sense is we're not unique with having this problem. So, so the, all the, the Abrahamic faiths, of which I believe there are three, all sort of have... This problem. Which problem? That that um, that if you if you don't do it our way, things are going to go bad for you. Christianity certainly is what willing to take us in, but if we don't come in, we're not getting to heaven.
1: So only, and, and, but only but, imperial religion believes you have to do it my way, or terrible things are going to happen correct, but to not, you.
3: But, My my sense is that this is true in Christianity. It's true in Muslim belief to some degree.
1: It depends which.
3: But we don't buy it anymore.
1: Which is. But but this doesn't say anything about anybody else. This doesn't say the Egyptians, if they don't do this, they're going to get kicked out of their land, right? The Egyptians can do what they do.
3: Well, the Oriental religions, I think, do very much have that philosophy that, yeah, we do it our way, you do it your way.
1: So early Israel understood there were other systems. They weren't so interested. It's not an imperial religion, but what I'm suggesting is there is within Jewish tradition a vision in which we live as an Amkado so well that everyone the example to gets it, the Torah. Yeah. and everyone, right? So it's there, but it's not to the point where it says, "But y'all, if y'all don't do this, are in trouble." They're we, not.
3: Well, you're saying we, we don't proselytize, That's for sure.
1: N- no, I'm saying something fundamentally different. I'm saying that in this book of Leviticus, it just says you Israelites won't eat swine or this or that. Or that. it doesn't care what the Egyptians are eating. Right. It's only for us. This is how we become kadosh. What I'm saying is there's an evolution in in Judaism that that takes it to a place of and if we live as an Am Kadosh, we will be an inspiration to the point where everyone will finally get it and Bayom Echad. Well I think to Bob's point, I think the difference between
4: Judaism and the other Abrahamic faiths and then the Eastern faiths or non-Abrahamic faiths in general is that what the Holiness Code points to is a, a teleological argument that there's a, that there is a purpose in all this and that's sort of the perfection of the world and you know, the Jews very strongly believe moving in, it maybe, towards perfection. Moving it towards perfection, but even the even Christians and and Muslims believe in an ultimate mm-hmm. perfection. Whereas the Eastern religions tend not to be not to be focused on where where is all this going. They have a system, but it, it's kind of circular and it doesn't have a. a
1: but and in Islam, as long as you're a monotheist, you're fine. You're okay, you don't you don't have it as good as Muslims, but you're demi, you're a protected class. Jews were demi, we were a protected class because we were monotheists, we were of the Abrahamic faith. So there's both a competition with siblings, right? Who who cares about the interpretation of this? Only the people who care about this, right? So the three Abrahamic faiths are in kind of competition with each other for the correct interpretation of the Abrahamic faith. That's true. But but Islam, as long as you were a monotheist, was fine with you not being Muslim. It's only Christianity that was the supersessionist imperial religion that said the way we believe is the only way to believe. It is the only path to the divine. And if you don't go our path, you are not in relationship to the divine. Or not, or not, you're not in correct relationship to the divine, right? And so, that's what we that's why we call it an imperialist religion. It's not just true for me, it's true for everybody. That is a that's distinct from either Judaism or Islam. Um yes.
2: this whole morning has been extremely thought provoking for me. Oh, good. And my last thought provoking I'm thinking about being a light upon the nation, that we've accepted these ethical holy codes. And then I think about contemporary, the UN, and all of the condemnation on Israel. And what's going on in the rest of the world and human rights violations are so much worse. But why is it focused on Israel? Could it be that we hold ourselves out to live by these holy codes? The Rwanda don't. What happened in Darfur, they didn't. What's going on in Syria, Assad never said, uh, you know, what we are, our nation is to be a light upon the nations. But maybe subconsciously, the world is looking at Israel. If you're the light upon the nations, look how you're doing this. Look how you're doing that. And henceforth, the
1: condemnation. Right. So you think you're all that. Right. Well, let's hold up your standards and let's see how well you do by them, Jews. Mm -hmm. Right? I think it's an irritant for the world that Jews now have power Mm -hmm. and a dominant military force. Mm -hmm. And I think... It's a danger to the Jewish people that we are a dominant force and have a dominant army. And I don't say that outside this room. I say it very carefully. And I say, oh, yeah, the microphone. Um, I just had this conversation with somebody, and I'm, I'm very, I'm deeply concerned for the soul of the Jewish people. I'm deeply concerned what it means to be in that neighborhood and have to have the military that we have and have to make the choices that we have to make. We have been able to call ourselves, right, or la goyim, and a light, and it's a light unto the nations, not on them, meaning unto them means we're showing you the path right. that you're supposed to follow, right? So it's been very easy to do that when we've been a marginalized remnant people with no power. Like for, the last two years. for the last two thousand years. It's, it's, it's been very, easy for us. We've been the victim. We have suffered. Nobody knows from suffering like the Jewish people, right? And I'm not being smart about that. It's true. It's also allowed us a certain kind of integrity because we didn't have another option. And I'm deeply concerned about what it means now that we have certain options, right? That we are in our sovereign nation. Jews are for now, the majority. And we have the biggest tanks and the biggest guns. I'm very concerned for us as a people.
2: When you look at it, we see the disconnect with the
1: millennials
2: and mm-hmm. the generation sitting in this room, except
1: for our, our young person
2: here. We still have that history of being the
1: victims yes. and coming yes.
2: through the Holocaust yes. and the Six-Day War
1: and... So you take somebody who's been bullied and beat up and kicked in the teeth and you give them a big gun. I'm worried. I'm worried for us, right? The, The reaction around the Israel conversation is so much about PTSD Right, It is so much about the trauma of the Jewish people that we talked earlier about you can't get past fundamental truths and you wonder why you're you're crazy trying to have a conversation because there's nowhere to go past they're trying to kill us, they're always going to try to kill us, we are in existential danger. Once you start there with that's the truth, where is there to go? Right? I don't start there. I start with we have the biggest guns in the region. (laughs) We are not at the edge of destruction we're not and until we get that and figure out what to do with that power and how to hold I mean I'm not an Israeli so I, I can't speak for them but until you know, then the young people are going to look at Israel and say you keep telling me this is your standard so then I look at Palestinians and their lives and the humiliations they have to go through at checkpoints. but guess what if you start at the truth they're trying to kill us I don't care what humiliation they go through at the checkpoint. They're not going to come through with a bomb, not on my watch. And you just, you start from this place where there's no, there's very little ability to have a conversation. And I'm very concerned about that. Because if we're not having that conversation, what kind of a nation are we building? Right? And I talk to Israelis about this all the time. They're deeply conflicted too, they're really conflicted and cuz it's a horrible reality it's a horrible situation i get it but they, you know i i deeply care about that project mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and it's the greatest project of the jewish people in the last 2000 years is the rebuilding of the state of israel and and i and i'm not saying she doesn't try to live into these values but i i, I just wonder about that starting place you know uh, uh, of a different truth than one that allows for even more commitment to doing it different than how it's happening right now yes George it's
5: so a slightly different point yes the Jewish religion says we should be holy at all but and then we have I translate to saving the world that's a little pretentious
1: okay so first of all it's not the word saving it, it, it's repair That there was a cosmic accident, right? This is Kabbalah. When you start talking Tikkun Olam, you are not talking Torah. Let's just be very clear about that. That is not anywhere in Torah, and it's not anywhere in the prophets, it's not anywhere, it's nowhere except in Kabbalah. Jewish mysticism says there was a cosmic accident. God withdrew God's self from the world because there was nowhere for the world to exist because God was everything. God withdraws God's self from the world to give the world room to exist. God pours God's self back into the world through vessels that were supposed to contain the divine light. But there's a cosmic accident. I know. You're looking like, what is she talking about? I'm telling you. So the vessels explode. They shatter. They shatter.
0: Shards of
1: and the shards are what the universe is made up of. The shard is is this. My interaction with this releases the spark of the divine in it. And that is how we repair the shattering. Okay? That's tikkun olam. Okay, so when we start talking Tikkun Olam, we then have taken that concept and we have it mean my behavior in the world can help repair the world. Yes, if you believe from a Kabbalistic standpoint that your interaction with things can release the holy spark in it, then yes. But we've taken it now to mean something else. We've reconstructed Tikkun Olam to mean social justice and social action, right? Like, if I do the right thing, the moral thing, and work for moral causes, I'm helping to repair the world. Okay, it's fine, it works for me, but we're not saving the world and we're not going to do it by ourselves. But our obligation is to spend our time, when we got back to that conversation about holiness being dynamic, it's about the way we spend our time and our effort and our energy should be towards repair rather than destruction. And we have that choice all the time, every day.
5: So isn't it... The pretension with the world, it goes back to, we are the holiest in the light. And does that get more people upset with us because we want to repair the world? I,
1: I don't know. Maybe. But I don't think a lot of non-Jews know about Tikkun Olam. <laughs> I don't. I, I think they have their own version of living in the, with Jesus as an example. They, they are followers of Christ. What would Christ do? What would Jesus do? The, the it's world. okay. So it's the same. Like I don't think it's so different. I think within their tradition, they also see themselves as disciples of Christ, and therefore they, they're gonna sow peace and love and right, forgiveness, and all of that stuff. It's no different than us. Are we an irritant? We have been <laughs> clearly right there. <laughs> yes,
5: I'm saying that that, that the pretension of, of repair the world is a, Creates
1: okay, all I would say is I don't think non-Jews know anything about Tikkun Olam. Don't. That, that, that we think we're the chosen people, for sure they know that. Yes. I don't think they have a clue that we think we're about Tikkun Olam. I really don't. No, I was going to say that, that Tikkun Olam is just another way of being an example of how to take care of the earth and take care of people and, and
0: so forth. That it's not a whole lot different from... We Just a different, um,
1: side of the coin. We've now cho- we've chosen to conflate right. tikun olam and holiness and you know all that stuff. Hundred percent. Like we we as the people have tumbled all of those terms into one container for sure.
4: Or a modern way of progressive or uh,
1: reconstructionist. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, it, but I mean, okay. No, but a, a, a current way of taking what was and using it the, at this point
4: in
2: time.
1: As opposed to
2: doing everything by the book.
1: Ah. So, wait, that's our. Yes, that's our work. What, what from this book, the only thing I would add is what from this book are we carrying forward? And what from this book are we reconstructing? That's right. What I'm saying. Yes. We're reconstructing Absolutely. So I just want to close with this. Um, so we've seen, I guess what I'm trying to say is this year, what's, what's lifted up for me is that we keep talking about Kadosh as being set aside, set apart. And an Am Kadosh is an Am, a nation, a people that is set aside is unique, but that that was not the, ultimate purpose right so I just want to and, and I, I didn't come up with it myself obviously um, I, I was looking at um, Levine's commentary from the JPS series and there's an excursus in the there's a lot of excurses in the back of the book but excursus six is biblical concepts of holiness so I was digging in a little I don't know why I was really wanting to dig into this notion of kadosh so he closes his excursus with this Despite many differences between Israelite monotheism and the other religions of the ancient Near East, the processes through which holiness was attributed to persons, places, objects, and special times did not differ fundamentally. Through ritual, prayer, and formal declaration, sanctification took effect. In biblical Hebrew, these processes are usually expressed by forms of the verb kadosh. Especially the PL stem, Kidesh, to devote, to, to devote, to sanctify, to declare holy. The gulf between the sacred and the profane was not meant to be permanent. The command to achieve holiness, to become holy envisions a time when life would be consecrated in its fullness, and when all nations would worship God in holiness. What began as a process of separating the sacred from the profane was to end as the unification of human experience, the harmonizing of the human being with its universe and the harmonizing of the human being with God. So may it someday be. Shabbat Shalom.
0: You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California.